The views and opinions expressed on today's show are solely those of the individuals speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official positions of the American Solidarity Party. The official party platform can be found under the About Us page on the American Solidarity Party website, solidarity-party.org. You're listening to The Pelican Brief, the official podcast of the American Solidarity Party, a show dedicated to promoting the common good on common ground through common sense. I'm your host, Bill Fleming. My guest today is Christy Yao. Christy serves on the American Solidarity Party's National Committee and is a staff writer for Rehumanize International. Today, Christy joins me to discuss whole life politics. Christy, thank you for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. So can we get started talking a little bit about your work with um, Rehumanize International? I'm curious to hear why you got involved with them and uh, the nature of what you do. Sure. So I first learned about Rehumanize when I was 20 years old. Um, I was a junior in college and I was kind of like a secret pro-life advocate, I guess. Um, Like not even an advocate, just a secret pro-life supporter. I used to like go into my tiny college apartment bedroom and like look at pro-life stuff on the internet and like turn the the volume down real low. So my like roommates would be like, what are you doing? Uh, Wouldn't hear. And one of the pages I came across was Rehumanize International. And I kind of got more acquainted with them through my Students for Life group that is president of my senior year. And I applied for an internship my, like the year after I had graduated college. And I kind of forgot about it, honestly, um, that I'd even like submitted my application. And then someone else who I had worked with through Students for Life contacted me kind of the May, like a year after I had graduated and said, hey, are you still interested? Like, I'd love to have you as one of the interns. And I said, oh, uh, I guess so. Why not? You know, um, by then I had started kind of working more in childcare and less in like activism. But I figured, you know, why not? Like, this is a good thing to do kind of on the side and to see where I want to go with it. And so I started out as a writing intern and I loved it. I fell in love with writing and researching and talking about various issues and the idea of the consistent life ethic, which is something I had kind of believed in all my life, but hadn't really like delved into too much. Like growing up Catholic, I knew what the consistent life ethic was and I knew it was something I believed in. I knew it was something like my family kind of believed in, but I hadn't done too much research on it personally myself. So I loved like diving into it and seeing like what it was all about and all that. So then um, a year later when my internship ended, I applied to be a staff writer and I was given the staff writer position and I've been doing that now for, oh gosh, two years maybe. And I really like it. It's, um, I just write articles and blog posts 
occasionally for Rehumanize, and it's been really great. Uh, and then um, about, oh gosh, a year and a half ago now, I was thinking, I'd been working in childcare for a while, and I was thinking about kind of what I wanted to do going forward. Um, I know I didn't want to be like a nanny or daycare teacher, which is what I've been doing for the rest of my life. So I was thinking about, you know, kind of what I wanted to do with my career going forward. And I thought about how much I love writing and how this is something I've really think I could do. And so then I started a master's program um, at Towson University and I'm still, you know, taking classes in that. So yeah, that's kind of my, my journey with Rehumanize. Can you define for our listeners what whole life politics means? Sure. So whole life politics kind of grew out of this idea of the consistent life ethic. So the, and the consistent life ethic was defined in the 1980s. Um, some people say it was defined by Cardinal Bernadine. Some people say, I believe it was Father Jack Egan said it first, but either way, it was first kind of defined then and it was really great traction, I think, in the past couple of years. But it basically means like you're pro-life, but you're pro-life for everyone. You believe that everyone's life has innate dignity and innate worth. And yes, it's so crucial and so important to be against abortion. And we don't want to downplay it at all. But we also have to be consistent. And we also have to be against these other forms of aggressive violence. And it's about kind of remembering not everything exists in a vacuum. And violence begets violence and hate begets hate, and kind of thinking that in terms of looking at the whole of someone's life and being for life at every single stage and every single instance. Can you give some examples of issues that are not traditionally thought of as being pro-life, but that would fit under the umbrella of whole life? Sure. So some that have been brought up, and there is always discussion and debate over what should be considered kind of consistent life issues. Like some people say we need to recognize animals. I, as much as being an animal lover as I am, I have my dog right next to me, and I don't, like I'm a, um, kind of a vegetarian. <laughs> I live in Baltimore, so I cheat with seafood sometimes. But I... Like, as much as I love animals, I don't particularly ascribe to that, but I do think it's very, very important to take care of creation and creatures. Um, but another one would be immigration. It's a huge one, um, especially in these past few months or past few years now that we have seen human rights abuses in our ICE detention centers. That's a huge consistent life issue. Another consistent life issue that Rehumanize has taken on is the bullying and suicide rate of transgender individuals. And that's something that maybe not a lot of people think about, but it is really a pro-life issue. Other ones people have thought about and kind of disagreed on or debated whether they are consistent life are things like the environment, which is something that I personally think should be part of the consistent life ethic, though, is debated whether it 
affects life individually, if that makes sense. So how would you respond to the claim that due to the gravity of abortion, we can't afford to be taking attention away from that issue and that that's where we should primarily be putting our energy? Sure. So that's something that I've gotten questioned a lot. When I went to my first consistent life network conference, which I'm now on the board of, um, when I first kind of got in touch with the consistent life network, that's something that even my own family said to me, like, hey, don't you think that it, this waters down abortion, that this is just, people have said it's just an excuse for us to vote for the Democratic Party. And I'd say not at all. It's a, a widening and a broadening of our respect for life. It's like, I would say it's like having, like when I think of my parents, just because I'm the second child, they don't love me any less. We can expand our love to all of humanity, not just the preborn, though we still keep the preborn and we still focus abortion as one of our main, main, I guess, um, things that we have to talk about and protest and mark on because the violence is so great. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't care about every other single issue and every other single person on the planet. Of course, individually, you can't spend all your time, you can't spend like an equal amount of time on every issue, maybe for one reason or another, one issue, you're really good at talking about it, you're really good at writing about it, you're really good at speaking about it, and that's fine. But you're not saying, oh, no, we shouldn't pay attention to these to this marginalized group of people because we have to pay attention to this other marginalized group of people. And it just gets to a lot of, I guess, messy dehumanization, if that makes sense. It does. And, and I think one of the, the challenges is, you know, when what you're talking about with respect to activism and protest and awareness, um, it's it's definitely a uh both and issue. Um, but you know, the, the whole life worldview seems to be pretty unpopular politically to me at least. And, you know, I, I, I'm wondering, you know, do you think that's just because of partisan politics and that we have to pick and choose, or is there something else going on that we should be aware of with respect to, of how do we make this a more popular, um, worldview and, and how do we how do we call the both of the parties to be more inclusive in terms of life issues? Sure. So I've actually done some research on this and why this is particularly that way. So in the 1980s, kind of pretty much before that era of politics, you could really be a pro-life Democrat. And there were pro-choice Republicans, and it wasn't as much of a partisan issue. In fact, a lot of the pro-life movement grew out of the anti-war movement. So that was traditionally more liberal people, traditionally more liberal politics. And then Jerry Falwell's moral majority in the 1980s really flipped the tables and made kind of the conservative movement associated with being pro-life and associated with kind of these family values and family issues, which hadn't really taken as much of a place in American politics before. And the Democratic Party became more 
kind of seen as the pro-choice party. And now it's so split. And it's so unfortunate. And I think maybe it has to do with scapegoats. I've tried to think about, like, why is it that, you know, the consistent life ethic, which has always seemed so clear to me and has always seemed like such the way kind of to go for me, why is it that it just seems like something hard for people to get their heads around? And I think it really is, like, we have a fear of the other. And I have a lot, a lot of pro-choice people that I've met who just have this idea of people who are against abortion as like these, I don't know, like these old white men throwing crucifixes at people. And that's not it. It's crazy how much kind of the, the perception and the reality are different. And then I have, I've met a lot of pro-life people who think pro-choice people, you know, they're murderers there. They have blood on their hands And that's not it. And I think if we kind of brought the consistent life message to more people, it would make more people realize how you don't have to choose. You can be both pro-life and pro-woman and pro-immigrant, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the things that you touched upon there is the the caricature of the typical pro-lifer. Why do you think that pro-life often gets branded as being anti-woman and anti-feminist? And how would you reconcile feminism and pro-life? Sure. So I think a lot of it does go back to that kind of moral majority kind of stereotypical Republicans and conservative politics and no offense to anyone who like subscribes to that but I think there is this stereotype that grew out of that movement of kind of the anti-feminist the kind of I don't know I think of like the TLC shows with like all the kids and <laughs> All the, like, that sort of whole of culture that many in many in, our, many in our society so vehemently reject. And that's why you have, like, TLC shows about them, because it's so, like, hard to comprehend. And I think people just don't realize, and it's hard to fathom, that there is a middle ground. And that you can be both a pro-life and a feminist, like a pro-life activist and a feminist. And to me personally, it makes so much sense that you are a pro-life, that people are pro-life feminists. And I feel like to be truly pro-life and to see the dignity and the value of both the pre-born and their mothers, how can you not call yourself a feminist? I mean, a feminist in its most basic terms means someone who thinks men and women deserve equal rights. And if you're going to fight for that pre-born girl, why not fight for her mother? And on the flip side, if you're going to fight for women, you need to fight for the unborn. You need to fight for a woman's right to be a mother. You need to fight for protections 
for women, such as anti-pregnancy discrimination, paid maternity leave, things like that. If you're going to be for women, how can you reject this most beautiful form of a woman to be a mother? So being a pro-life feminist, it just, it goes hand in hand. I don't under, there. how can you not be a pro-life feminist? So for those of us who are advocating for a consistent life ethic, what do you see working and where should we change our strategy in order to be more effective? I would say we definitely need to, especially what's been going on in our country in the past few months. We need to listen to minority voices more. We need to listen to the voices of women, especially the voices of minority women, I think, and people who really have struggled and we need to see what do they need I feel like for so much of my life, I've kind of tried to think about like, oh, how can I help people? How can I, you know, make the world a better place? But why don't I ask the people who need help? So I think just listening and really kind of being inclusive and kind of opening up dialogue would really help a lot. And given all of the problems in our current culture and society, and the amount of political capital that is required to pass substantive reform, um, what kind of framework should we be using in terms of priority, prioritizing which of these issues we focus on first in terms of the political realm, in terms of voting, those kind of things? Do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. So I do definitely, like when I vote, I need to vote for someone who's pro-life, anti-abortion, because that, I mean, it's so great in our society today and by great I don't mean like good I mean massive abortion is so massive in our society today and it hurts so deep and it's so you know vehemently wrong that we definitely need to focus on abortion I think any or the majority of consistent life activists would say that but I think we also need to work on I don't know if we need to I'm not a political strategist, so I'm not sure how we would best, like, strategize how to work on other issues. Um, I think we need to work on restorative justice, mainly, which is the idea that when someone commits a crime, you don't just punish them, you rehabilitate them, you restore what was lost. So I think that's something we definitely need to work on and that will go a whole long way because none of this exists in a vacuum. It's all kind of interconnected. And and so with respect to the connection between abortion and restorative justice, can you um, elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. So Rehumanize International actually just put out a great white paper on restorative justice after abortion and it kind of it is much like is done in family courts today instead of like obviously we don't want women locked up or we don't want to see women you know persecuted for miscarriages or anything like that what we want is to see a true healing of society after this great injustice that has been going on for so many years. We want to see a healing for women, for families, for abortion doctors. And that's kind of what restorative justice looks at. There is some sort of, I guess, like punishment element to it, 
you do like community service or something like that is more like the restorative justice model rather than just incarceration. But it's really bringing, kind of filling the gap of society and filling that gap of the lack of justice. Christy, if our listeners are interested in keeping up with you and your work, um, where can they follow you? Sure. So I'm always writing for, well, not always, but um, you can definitely follow their Humanized blog for my work there. You can also feel free to look me up on Facebook. And I've been saying I'm going to get an active Twitter for like a few weeks now. So we'll see if it actually happens. Um, and I'll keep you updated. How about that? All right. Thanks for joining me, Christy. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share this podcast with your friends and family and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Our next episode will be released in two weeks. Tune in to hear my conversation with Skylar Kovich, the national chair of the American Solidarity Party.